everyone, and welcome to Ultrasounds, a podcast by ob Delivered. I'm Sanaya. And I'm Jordan. Hi, Dr. K. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Jordan and I have been really honored to have your to take your introduction to epidemiology course through the School of Public Health and have been fascinated to hear about your research on adverse health outcomes for women. Thanks for having me. Dr. K is a highly accomplished associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. She also holds the position of associate chair for faculty affairs in epidemiology. Dr. K received her PhD in epidemiologic science and an MPH in epidemiology from the University of Michigan. Among her many accomplishments, Dr. K is a National Institute of Aging Butler Williams Scholar and serves as the director for the Center for Midlife Science at the University of Michigan. Dr. K is also the principal investigator of the Michigan site of the study of women's health across the nation, the Michigan Bone Health and Metabolism Study, and the Protect Mom Study. Dr. K's research, which we will explore more throughout the podcast, focuses on critical periods of risk for adverse health outcomes in women. So to start things off, could you tell us a little bit about your educational trajectory and how you ended up teaching at the School of Public Health? Yeah, this is a question I get asked a lot. I teach um, across our curriculum. I teach undergrads. I teach master's students. I have doctoral students. And so um, a, a job and a scope of work like mine is something that I didn't even know I could do when I was a student or a trainee. And so I get asked this question a lot, like, how, how did you end up here? What, what did you do to end up on that road? And looking back, I realized it was a series of um, small micro decisions that continued to point me in a direction that I didn't even know existed, but I'm really grateful um, I ended up where I am. So I started my undergraduate training at the University of Northern Iowa, pursued biology because I was really interested in health and um, thought that I would go to medical school. That was my plan. Like most students who are planning to attend medical school, I knew I needed to get some research experience um, to be competitive for my application. And although Northern Iowa was fantastic for so many things, it did not have a large research program. It was not a research university. And so I had the great fortune um, to travel to Houston, Texas, um, one summer to take part in a summer research program at the University of Texas, Houston, and the MD Anderson Cancer Hospital. Um, and several of us from my university went down uh, together and uh, we're having a great summer. And as luck would have it in July, Tropical Storm Allison hit and it um, flooded our our research labs, it flooded my dormitory where we were living, and it just caused total havoc on the project I was working on. So so after that storm, the original project I was planning to work on um, wasn't possible. And so I started working on this other project, which was a literature review project, looking at sex differences in cardiovascular disease risk and um, treatment effectiveness between males and females. And so I spent the rest of that summer in the medical library, literally pulling peer-reviewed journal article volumes off of the shelf and photocopying them. And we were looking to see whether these studies had included um, women in their studies. 
if they did include women, if they analyzed their data separately by sex, and if they did, if the findings were different by males versus females. And this project was particularly timely because just recently before this project, the National Institutes of Health came out with their policy of the inclusion of um, women and minorities in health research, stating that any research that was federally funded had to include women, had to analyze their data separately by sex um, so that we could understand these sex differences. And so that was a really fun project. It uh, yielded my first peer-reviewed paper after that summer. And uh, as you might imagine, what we found is that the vast majority of studies, even though they were to uh, uh, participate in this protocol or this policy from NIH, did not include women in the studies. Of those that did, um, very few of them analyzed their data separately by sex. But of those that did, there were about a quarter of them that had really meaningful differences in either presentation or effectiveness of treatment by sex. And so that was really a cool opportunity for me to see the impact of sex as a biologic variable on health. I'd um, long been interested in women's health from more of a social point of view, but really thinking about it as a important biologic construct. Um, but more importantly, I spent the summer reading peer-reviewed literature from clinical research, and what I learned was epidemiology. I'd never heard that term before. I'd never seen an epidemiologic research study before. And I, I just was fascinated by the idea that you could do research, that you could have an experimental design with humans, not with cells, not with um animal cell lines or anything like that, but with with real humans and patients. And so I asked my mentor that summer, who does this? Like, who does this kind of work? And she told me it was an epidemiologist. And um, so that led me to the field. And I started to dive into what epidemiology was. And it, it felt like a homecoming. I was it was exactly where I wanted to be. And I decided Medical school was not the route I wanted to go. I was much more interested in population health. I was much more interested in the scientific methods uh, used in epidemiology. And so I decided to pursue a master's degree in public health. Um, I, was, I was very happy to know that epidemiology was a field of public health because public health, too, also felt like a homecoming with its focus on health equity and advocacy. Um, I really wanted to look at women's health from a broad lens. And so I came to Michigan in um, 2003 to pursue my master's in public health degree in epidemiology. Um, and then I had this, what we called an interdepartmental concentration in women's health. And through that program, I was able to learn and study about all aspects of women's health from the angle of epidemiology, but also health policy, um, health behavior, health education, and so forth. Um, and while I was there, met several really wonderful faculty members, um, including a very important person um, in my life, Dr. Mary Fran Sowers, who had taught several of my courses and I got to know quite well while I was here. And then ultimately upon graduation, um, started working for her as a project director, staff member on one of her research studies. And so I uh, worked on that study for about five years, and I learned so much. 
I did primary data collection. I learned to develop my own surveys and um, get um, IRB or Institutional Review Board approval. I learned to work directly with participants. Um, I learned to do data analysis and manuscript and grant writing and just really learned a lot of skills. And um, then one day I recall we were sitting in Dr. Sowers' office and I had asked her a question that we might be interested in pursuing as a scientific project. And she said to me, she said, that's a really interesting question, but one that I think you should pursue yourself. It's not something on my agenda. And I asked what that would involve. And she said it would involve you going and getting your PhD. And so the next day I applied to the PhD program, had never crossed my mind before until that very day, and um, then started the PhD program the following fall so I could pursue that research question and ended up, long story short, ended up with an instructional track position at Michigan. I've been in that role for seven or eight years now. It's been a long winding road and I look back and it was this series of micro decisions. You know, it was this micro decision to go do that internship. It was this decision to work on a different project after that storm. It was this decision to pursue epidemiology because it felt right, even though I was so uncomfortable with that because I thought I was going to go to medical school, then launch into the PhD program. And so it's been just this um, series of, of very small instances over time that have cumulatively led to um, where I am now. And, and I'm just really, really grateful for that. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That sounds like a really exciting trajectory. And I love that your micro decisions kind of got you to where you are now. And we're grateful to have taken your class. Um, now we'd love to hear a little bit about your current research projects, the lab that you run through the School of Public Health, and as well as how you began working in this specific discipline. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've had this long-term interest in women's health. Um, I think as a woman, one is interested in their own health and the health of our um, sisters and our mothers and our daughters. Um, but more broadly than that, I've been really interested in sex differences and disease risk. This certainly came out of my work um, with my first experience working on the paper looking at sex differences in cardiovascular disease. But, you know, beyond that, I think over the last several decades, I think there's great appreciation that men and women have um, very different healthcare experiences, different health risks, different um, uh, ways in which we metabolize medications and so forth. And so I've, I've long been interested in that. Um, and interested in the biologic aspects of that specifically. The common dogma has always been, or the hypothesis underlying these sex differences has always been that those differences are due to hormone differences, that females have the primary sex hormone of estrogen and that males have the primary sex hormone of testosterone and that differences in whatever we're looking at is likely due to these biologic endocrinologic differences. Um, that's sometimes difficult to tease apart uh, when looking at studies of males versus females because there's just so many differences um, across the physiology uh, and the social structure. However, there's certain opportunities that we have to isolate 
differences in sex hormones and understand the impact of that specific exposure on health outcomes. And one of those, at least for females, is menopause. And so menopause is a um, natural event in the life of females, whereby there is a cessation of menses following 12 months of amenorrhea. It's defined retrospectively. And the endocrinology underlying menopause is um, uh, a rapid decline in estradiol levels, a rapid decline in anti-malarian hormone levels, and then uh, a slow and then accelerated rise in follicle-stimulating hormone levels. And so by looking at menopause studies, we can understand um, within a person what the health changes are that are due to those hormone changes uniquely um, versus just a regular um, natural progression of aging and thereby understand, at least in females, how much of a health risk or health outcome can be attributed to or due to estrogen changes specifically. And so the studies that I worked on um, with Dr. Sowers and, and now LEAD are studies of menopause. They were both originally conceptualized to be studies of menopause. Um, one is called the study of women's health across the nation, and the other is the Michigan Bone Health and Metabolism Study. Both of these studies were designed to characterize what we call the natural history of menopause. At the time when they were started in the um, early to mid 90s, very little was known about menopause as a physiologic condition. Uh, little was known about what the hormone trajectories looked like, what the physiologic consequences of menopause were, um, and so forth. We knew a lot about the start of reproductive life with puberty, but we knew very little about the end of reproductive life in females. And so at the time, there was an investment made by the National Institutes of Health to launch these two studies, um, which are prospective in nature. They follow the same group of individuals forward in time to understand um, what their health, what their hormones, what their um, behaviors and so forth look like as they move through the menopausal transition. The other thing is that menopause, if we think about it then, is a critical window for adverse health outcomes. And it's really a unique period because what we have learned in SWAN is that the role of menopause on health outcomes is both um, unique to the endocrinologic change that comes from ovarian aging. There are distinct, unique, risk um, relationships that are tied directly to the fact that someone is going through menopause. And so we can see that with things like changes in fat mass and um, its location, changes in bone mineral density. On the other hand, there are some things that are not due to your menopausal status or your time to or from your final menstrual period, but are purely due to the fact that one is aging and that things change as you age. And we would consider this a marker of chronologic aging. And so things like body weight, um, people tend to increase their body weight throughout their life up to a certain point, but that that does not necessarily have a tie in to where one is in their menopausal transition. 
um, whereas their body composition, their fat mass or their lean mass does. And so this is important um, from a public health point of view to think about how to message um, different health information to key populations, how to intervene and when to intervene and what is the most effective strategy to intervene. Um, and so recently I've become interested in another rapid period of endocrinologic change, uh, which is pregnancy. And so for females, we know that pregnancy is um, certainly associated with rapid hormone changes during and then after as well. And as such, given the work in menopause, where we see important changes in relationships associated with these hormone changes, um, we have hypotheses that pregnancy itself may be a critical window for short or long-term risk of adverse health outcomes, depending on what that experience is like. And so the work I'm doing um, with Dr. John Meeker um, through the Protect Moms study is looking at uh, the change in these endocrinologic markers um, throughout pregnancy and then into postpartum, and whether or not um, during this life stage, those changes are also associated with differences in things like glucose metabolism, as well as body composition. And then hopefully what we would be able to look at is um, with a much longer view, whether or not those changes as they happen throughout pregnancy and beyond, then link to long-term risk of um, chronic disease health outcomes. And um, Broadly, you know, it's really, I think, a unique way to consider life course epidemiology. There's been clearly this focus that it's not just one period of time that sets your risk for your health across your life, but the accumulation of experiences and health behaviors and risk periods. And that's really difficult to do from a research point of view because getting funding or getting participants to be willing to participate for 60, 70, 80 years in a research study is, is not realistic. So instead, if we can understand what are these periods of time in which there are um, the most rapid changes or the most meaningful changes, means that we can isolate where we should be focusing our research efforts and then ultimately uh, our intervention efforts, either from a public health or clinical point of view. And so uh, for females, it seems that um, some of these periods that are most important are those whereby there's rapid change in the endocrinologic um, environment, uh, given what we know about the relationship of those hormones with health outcomes. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, I think it's really interesting just like how much your research and in the time that you've been contributing to epidemiology we have this whole shift in our understanding of menopause and health outcomes with aging. Um, and I think also what you just discussed really showcases the importance of epidemiology to the medical field, public health, and a bunch of other disciplines. So with that, I was wondering what are some specific considerations individuals interested in women's health research should be mindful of? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, I'd like to highlight that I've talked a lot about the importance of events like menopause or pregnancy, which are really periods um, first and foremost of rapid hormonal and endocrinologic change, um, but really want to highlight that not all of our sex differences that we see in health outcomes are due to the biology of our sex and not all of the health impacts 
of menopause are due just to hormone changes. Um, menopause is a very complex period that includes hormone change, but also includes changes in our physiology overall beyond our endocrinology. It's a rapid period of change socially. Um, many individuals are going from the workforce to not. They may be going from being a caregiver to not. Um, their friend group may be changing. Their um, living situation may be changing. Um, and it's also an important period of environmental change. Um, they may be uh, changing their diet. They may be changing the types of personal care products they use. They may be changing um, uh, different things in which they're living and working. And so all of this to say is that just like menopause is not solely a period of hormone change, sex differences are not solely uh, due to the sex differences in biology. These are very complex constructs. And so it's important for us to really understand the unique and shared con uh, contributors of risk that comes not only from the endocrinology, but also the physiology, the social factors, the environmental factors, and so forth. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all of those wonderful thoughts. Um, now we are wondering, how do you recommend that medical practitioners or medical students who are interested in your specific research get involved? Um, number one, SWAN data is available publicly. Um, so anyone in the public can access it through ICPSR, which is the data archive for the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan. And so all of the SWAN data um, from baseline through visit 10, so 10 waves of data, is available publicly for download to anyone who would like to work with it through the ICPSR website. Um, that's a nice opportunity for folks because it doesn't require an IRB, um, it doesn't require permission, doesn't require any of the administrative um, uh, work that is needed to go the other routes. Alternatively, um, SWAN has all of our data as well as our biobank available through the NIA or the National Institute of Aging, Aging Research Biobank. Um, that is a biobank that is managed by the National Institute of Aging. And you can put in an application directly to the biobank for either data or data and biospecimens. Um, SWAN has a biorepository that includes the biospecimens from all of the study visits throughout SWAN. We've completed 17 follow-up visits over the last several decades, and we have um, both serum as well as urine and plasma available. And so that would um, allow you to go and ask for biospecimens if you want to assay them for a new biomarker um, that's not available currently within SWAN. And then those specimens can be linked to the data that is available as well through the NIA Aging Research Biobank. And I encourage folks, if they have a question, to check out that resource too. Um, if you just Google that, you'll find it. Um, but more broadly, if you are interested in SWAN or even Michigan Bone Health um, or the PROTECT study, which we don't have quite a uh, as much of a uh, outward facing presence as we do with SWAN, just reach out via email to me. I'd be happy to chat. Um, I get really excited about new research ideas and new data ideas and um, am always happy to do that.
Awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, for listeners who are maybe interested in anything that we just discussed, we will link the resources Dr. K has mentioned in the footnotes of the episode, as well as her faculty page um, for U of M in case you want to reach out to her. Um, in line with this, it seems as though from what we've discussed so far, the emergence of epidemiology and its integration into healthcare has created a lot of positive change and in his is of very increasing interest to healthcare professionals. So how do you see epidemiology transforming the medical field in the next, let's say, 10 years? That's a great question. And I would say that the most straightforward answer is that I think epidemiology will transform the medical field and that the medical field will transform epidemiology. I think that this is a bi-directional symbiotic relationship. And in an ideal world, um, public health, epidemiology specifically, and medicine work together in a complementary manner. And if you were to take my undergraduate public health biology class, this is the very first thing we talk about, that it's important for us to have public health-minded physicians, and it's important for us to have medically informed public health practitioners. And so I think it's really important for us to make sure that we are training and cross-training um, in each direction, that we have interdisciplinary teams at the decision-making table, whether we're talking about the care and treatment of a patient or the type of intervention and planning that is needed for a population or a community. Thank you so much, Dr. K. Yes, it definitely makes a lot of sense that you know, as medical practitioners and epidemiologists, it's important for us to continue inter interdisciplinary work. Um, so I'm glad that we got to chat a little bit about that today. Um, and thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and your perspective for students and practitioners who are interested in getting more involved with your line of work. We have one final question for you. Um, we were wondering, Dr. K, what would you say is your favorite part of the research and work that you do? Hmm. I would say my favorite part of my work is, is the people. Um, so in my teaching work, my favorite part is getting to know students and working with students. Uh, the the beauty of a place like a school of public health is that you have folks who come to train there from all backgrounds and all disciplines and then on the research side i would say too working with the people um over decades now of working on these cohorts i know my research participants well um I see them often, they come in about once a year for a clinic visit, and then we have regular meetings with them. We'll usually invite them and um, annually out for what we call a town hall, and we'll share some of our study findings, both what we've learned and where we're going next. We'll provide dinner. And I just really love those events. I love to talk to our study participants. I love to hear from them about what matters to them, because many times the things that they're raising uh, as concerns or interests are things that we hadn't thought of. And so their feedback often uh, will foster the most relevant, important research questions for us to pursue. And I'm just so honored to meet them because I think that anyone who is willing to participate in a research study for nearly 30 years is an extraordinary human. And 
you know, our participants themselves aren't getting anything directly beneficial for them out of our study. They're doing it to inform and hopefully improve the health of their daughters, their granddaughters, their nieces, and so forth. And I just really admire their contributions. And so whenever I'm in the presence of our participants, I am just humbled at their contributions. And so, so in both directions, I think both in teaching and research, my favorite part is the people. I love learning from curious and engaged students. Um, and I love seeing the dedication and passion that our participants bring to the research table. I really, really love that answer. Thank you. Um, With that, that concludes our special topic discussion on epidemiology with a focus on menopause and women's health research. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today, Dr. K. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our audience. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Ultrasound wherever you get your podcasts. For more high-yield topic reviews and recent news, you can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at obgyn underscore delivered, or find more topic review outlines and free question banks at our website, www.obgyndelivered.com. And always remember, we put in the labor so you can deliver.